Welcome back to The Evaluator, a podcast by the Independent Evaluation Unit of the Green Climate Fund. I am your host, Yunji Kim, Communications Officer at the IEU. The IEU aims to conduct evaluations that will help make the GCF faster, smarter, and better. We are committed to collecting and producing high-quality evidence to inform policymaking within the GCF and also the broader international climate finance arena that translates into better outcomes on the climate action front. As you know, the evaluator brings you compelling insights on cutting-edge topics related to evaluation, climate action, and development, featuring experts from across the globe as well as from within the IEU. In this episode, we are continuing our talk with Dr. Josna Puri, or Joe, the head of the Independent Evaluation Unit of the Green Climate Fund. Our previous episode with Joe focused on her journey as the IEU head for the world's largest climate fund in the last three and a half years, with an emphasis on the seven evaluations that the IEU delivered under her leadership. Today, I will ask Joe more questions relating to the IEU's broader data collection and analysis effort that directly supports its evaluations and also questions about Joe's leadership in the larger international development and climate change space. Hi, Joe. Thank you for joining us again. Thank you so much, Yanji. You shared with us in the previous episode the tagline for the IEU, which is trusted evidence, informed policies, and high impact. So let's focus now on this trusted evidence part. I saw in the recent data lab video of the IEU, you said that the IEU data lab is your dream come true because no other evaluation offices have that. So tell us how the IEU data lab produces trusted evidence. Yeah, really good question again, Yonji. So, in most evaluation offices, um, I think there is a certain amount of frustration. Uh, the frustration comes from the fact that, look, the data that they have to deal with um, is essentially produced by very different actors who aren't necessarily, necessarily producing data for the purposes of evaluation, right? And evaluation data requires data to be both input and analyzed with a very different lens. Um, I think my, some of my previous training uh, taught me that, but also my conversations with, I think, leaders in the evaluation field informed me about that frustration. So most evaluation offices have to deal with that, and because of that, many at least have given up on that, uh, on that challenge, or basically decided there's just so much data, that, yeah, and there's so much to capture that if they did want to do a good job, it'll be, it would be almost impossible um, especially at the stages of their own evolution of their offices, because most of them are 30 or 40 years along, and this is where path, dependent, uh, path dependence makes a big difference. Um, so it would be very difficult for them to try and recreate data over such a long time. With the GCF, given that it's a, you know, at, at least at that time, it was a five-year-old institution, I knew that it was now or never. Either we set in the data lab right then and started to at least uh, input the data you know, into machine-readable forms, but with the lenses that evaluators wanted right then, and then sort of basically then the incremental change in data would be very small once we were able to catch up. Um, uh, either it had to be done right then, or it would not be done at all. 
And so I did feel that responsibility of also a legacy. Uh, I think that um, I, I was quite cognizant of uh, at that point and have been throughout. So uh, with the data lab, the idea has been that yes, we look at both GCF data and now I'm proud to say that you know, the data lab has different parts to it. We look at internal GCF data. We've got almost all of our funding proposals, financial data, all of the investment criteria, all of their uh, review scores, etc. Everything in machine readable form and in forms that we understand, that the IU understands. So we have the metadata for it. We understand what each variable means, how it can be translated, what the definitions are. All of this is really important. The it sounds really detailed, but really the devil is in the details. And I knew that we wanted that right from the beginning. We wanted the metadata, we want the machine readable data, we needed uh, the financial data, we need the implementation data, we needed the um, disbursement data, all of that, yeah? But in forms that we could recognize, interpret, and have confidence in. So that was one. But we also needed to align this with external data. I mean, the world has become data rich now, but we were also cognizant that we didn't want to basically just invite data for its own sake. Data mining is a big no-no. You have to start with good hypotheses and then see as to what the data is saying. But with that data, we could be intelligent and bring in partners who could help us with interpreting also what external data sets were saying and could be used by the GCF. So we also worked on building a small part of our work on, uh, and bringing in GIS. GIS data and costs have now become really low, but they bring spatially disaggregated data in ways um, that we are able to use and hopefully we'll be able to show off uh, hopefully by early next year. Yeah, so that's the second. And so putting all of this has essentially taken, I think about a year and a half. But with that, then we are now, no longer do we have to say, do we have to put in caveats into our evaluations which say, oh, this is anecdotal data and only data that we've collected from one country. Uh, we can now talk about the entire portfolio. So in statistical terms, we are looking at the population and no longer the sample. There's no sample size bias in our, in our data. We are looking at the entire population and we can talk about the entire portfolio of the GCF in confident terms because um, um, we're talking about the entire population. What that has meant is that in whether you're looking at the IEU's um, results management framework review or the country ownership or the country ownership evaluation or the evaluation of the GCS readiness and programmatics and readiness and preparatory support program or indeed the forward-looking performance review that we brought out last year to inform the GCS first replenishment we were able to show G GCF data not just in terms of milestones but also in terms of processes how long does it take, for example, for an entity to enter the system and get approved by the board? For the first time, the GCF board, as well as the GCF secretariat, were seeing numbers such as 506 days, such as 600 days to get from when you first enter the system into getting approved by the board. For the first time, were people who really felt strongly about the GCF able to see other numbers such as 
after the GCF board approves a proposal, how long does it take to get your first disbursement? Once you had that first, once you had those first level of questions answered, you could then start to go down into the second order of questions and say, okay, why does it take so long, right? Because before that, it was all anecdotal and you could do a he said, she said. Now, we just had the data and we could put it out there and it's replicable. So anybody can come and use our data and see that the results are replicable. And that's the confidence that we want to bring to our evaluations. Wow, that's amazing. I mean, I know that the IU Data Lab exists, but I didn't really get to work with this data myself. And so uh, the fact that it's machine readable and, you know, there's metadata, you know, we understand the data the way we do, uh, that, that's really, truly amazing. So thank you for that. Earlier, you alluded, alluded to uh, how the IEU invests in learning about behavioral science. So I'm just wondering, uh, why do you invest uh, in this topic as a, a, a unit? And can you tell us briefly about the IEU's behavior and design lab, that lab? <laughs> yes, of course. Thanks very much, Yonji. So I think, um, as I said a little bit early on, I, I think one of the things that has uh, taken up a lot of my mind space and my thinking even before I joined the GCF is uh, clear, the fact that clearly evidence is not enough. Action is rarely informed by just evidence. And I think this is one of the challenges of evaluations as well. We think that just producing evaluations is enough and that in itself evidence should lead to policy change. But climate, climate change is the poster boy of where we know this has not worked, right? And so this is essentially what marks my obsession with thinking about what can we do to change behavior and action in the last mile. And that's where behavioral science comes in. So even before I joined the GCF and the IU, I'd started to think about where do multilateral institutions uh, have somewhat of a blind spot? And I think it's, it's here. It's in, it's in focusing too much on the supply side of issues and not sufficiently on the demand side on, and not sufficiently on what is it that the human being on the ground, that the man, woman, and child on the ground want and tailoring your investments to their needs. Behavioral science lies very nicely at the intersection of anthropology, economics, and psychology. And it essentially combines elements from all of that to then recognize that we may think that, uh, or we may know that some things are individually rational and required for us, but we just don't do them. This is what translated then into uh, the creation of the bad lab within the IU. And it was mischievously named precisely because I wanted people to also be provoked into asking the question, what's the bad lab? And um, it sort of had that image about it and, you know, it would uh, and has provoked reactions as well. So it stands for behavior and design lab. And it's essentially focusing on this idea that you need to create a choice architecture for people so that even in even though so even when they know that they have the evidence for doing something that is privately useful for them uh, they suffer from inertia so in the counterfactual they suffer from inertia and don't undertake that action but when given the right choice architecture they will make the right decision for themselves 
It's the decision that they've always wanted to make. They just couldn't make it because of inertia. And now, because you have the right structure and the enabling environment, you will. So uh, the bad lab essentially is now focusing its attention on understanding as to how within GCF projects and investments, as we provide, for example, climate information services, which is a large sub-portfolio for the GCF, or we are putting out cash transfers, or we are giving payments for ecosystem services or for not deforesting plots of land, how can the impact of that intervention or program be amplified by essentially creating choice architectures in that last mile so that people on the ground find it far easier to take the right decision? So the Bad Lab essentially focuses on analyzing the investments that GCF is making and seeing as to where it can recommend changes in choice architectures on the ground so that it is easier for beneficiaries of GCF investments to make the choices that they were wanting to make anyway, but just in an easier way. So, and that's essentially what we are looking at now. We are analyzing these projects. We are also going to be working with our other program, which is the Learning Oriented Real-Time Impact Assessment or LORTA program, and uh, hopefully bringing on some partners to experiment and test some of these interventions to see as to what could work as, uh, as possible tweaks to interventions so that we can amplify the impacts of GCF investments. When you joined the GCF in 2017, you were also the only GCF board appointed female leader. So that's amazing. Uh, that is highly inspirational for us women in the field of international development and climate change. So what was it like for you to navigate this space as a woman? Uh, has it been an easy journey? And what advice would you like <laughs> to give to these young, aspiring female professionals in development and climate change? Wow. Has it been an easy journey? No. Would I do it again if I knew everything that I know now in a heartbeat? Um, it has been an amazing journey, but I think it's been amazing primarily because it has been so challenging. And the first thing that I want to say to women, and uh, you know, I, I'm also proud to say that I think the IU has some incredible women. Actually, all of the women there are incredible. Uh, and each one of them could do this job. Uh, so I think there are two things that I want to leave the women especially, uh, two ideas that I especially want to leave with the women. First, you're more fabulous than you think you are. Mm -hmm. And second, just persist. There's just nothing else and they've got everything else. They are bright, they are intelligent, they are persistent, they are energetic. It's just, there's nothing to stop them. So yeah, just believe that you're fabulous and persist. My only two messages. All right, um, can you tell us now, switching gears a little bit, uh, tell us about your new role at the IFAD. Uh, what is the next chapter of your career going to look like? And how would your experience at the IEU help you in your new position? Yeah, I, I have to say, I'm, um, 
I'm both uh, excited but also nervous about the new position. So I will go as Director of Strategy and Knowledge to the International Fund for Agricultural Development for Environment, Climate, Nutrition, Gender, Youth and Social Inclusion. Um, I have to say I, I feel uh, really privileged about this offer and this position primarily because it combines the two joys that I have in life. One is um, to think about knowledge and how to generate that. Uh, and the second is how to make it useful. And uh, with the strategy component of my overall responsibility, I'm hoping very much that I'll be able to take that knowledge, uh, the knowledge part of my life and feed it into the strategy part of my role. And uh, get and um, help G, um, IFAD to think much more about data-driven and evidence-driven strategy and policy. And um, I, I don't think I could have asked for a better transition. Uh, of course, you can come back and ask me three years later as to how I felt about it, and I'm <laughs> sure I'll have a different story. But uh, I think that uh, the IU position uh, was definitely a labor of love in so many ways and a passion of energy. But it has also readied me to think a lot more about how policies and strategies should be devised. And uh, really, if, uh, if I was to be completely and brutally honest, it's time to put my money where my mouth is, right? Mm -hmm. uh, in the evaluation position, I'm advocating constantly to organizations to think about evidence, to think about evaluations before they think about their strategies and to feed this into their strategies. And in my new position, I will have that responsibility. So I'm hoping very much that um, I'll pass. Oh, sounds like a great transition. <laughs> Although, yeah, it's a great loss for the IEU. And so now, uh, would you like to say any final words to your beloved team, the IEU, and perhaps the larger GCF family? So there's a, I actually want to try and end with a quote, if that's okay with you. It's a quote that I would, um, I would share with my team a lot, um, uh, especially when times were really dark and, you know, we were, we were discouraged or we, were, we felt that there was nothing to look forward to, etc. And there were quite a few of those times. So this is a quote by uh, Marianne Williamson um, that I really like. And it goes like this. Our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that most frightens us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are all meant to shine, as children do. And I think that that's something that I want to leave with the IU and with anyone else who might be interested. Thanks. Okay, we are all meant to shine. <laughs> thank you very much, Joe, for doing this with us. Um, thank you very much for joining us uh, for the podcast, The Evaluator, and we hope to see you and all the best to you in your new venture adventure. Thank you. Thank you, Yonji, and thank you for all of your work and energy. Yeah, thanks very much. We hope you enjoyed this episode of The Evaluator by the Independent Evaluation Unit of the Green Climate Fund. Mm -hmm.
We'll be back with more insightful and interesting dialogues that matter for the evaluation and climate action communities, so stay tuned. Remember to tweet your thoughts about the show at GCF underscore eval with a hashtag, TheEvaluator. That's all for now, signing off from the IEU headquarters in Songdo, Republic of Korea. Thank you for listening.